Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to artists about their favorite albums. Today, we're talking with Tim Crisp, the host of Better Yet Pod. We talked about Bob Dylan's 1967 album, John Wesley Harding. We go really deep into Dylan's obsession with the JFK assassination, conspiracy theories, and the connections of Christianity during this era of Dylan's life. Had a blast chatting with Tim, and I believe you will too. Please check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. Please rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Lastly, drop us an email at spinningoutpod at gmail.com if you want to be a guest, or maybe you want to sponsor the show, or just, you know, tell us something nice. That'd be nice. Okay, enough of me. Let's chat with Tim Crisp. Are you vegan, or do you simply enjoy good food delivered straight to your door? Then you should probably check out Nourish. Nourish offers culturally diverse, gluten-free, organic vegan food for meal delivery and catering, all while enriching their community, employees, and our planet. If you're in Charlotte, North Carolina, you can find them at nourishcharlotte.com. If you're in the New York area, check out nourishdelivered.nyc. Nourish yourself. You deserve it. Hey, Tim, how's it going? It's going good, Josh. How are you doing today? I am doing great. Did a lot of emailing for work. Um, but, you know, that's the way it is these days. Yeah, loving an email. Yeah, <laughs> I apologize if I'm a little reverby here. I just moved into, well, I just moved from Chicago to Valparaiso, Indiana. And it took me a little bit of time to, like, paint my office because we were doing other stuff with like the move-in so i finally like moved into my like permanent office slash recording space but i don't have enough stuff up on the walls quite yet so if i'm a little bouncy that's why Mm, that sounds great to me um since i didn't do it before we started how am i sounding to you you sound good to me okay great yeah (laughs) All right, so today we are talking about Bob Dylan's album, John Wesley Harding, from December 27th, 1967. Do you recall the first time you've heard this record? I can't recall the first time that I heard it. Um, I did have a hard drive in college that had a whole lot of music on there, including like all of the Dylan LPs. And I recall listening to this during my college days. I don't know how much it stuck with me, but I have the uh, mono recordings box set, which is the first eight albums on mono. And this is the eighth. So it was, I'd say, in like, yeah, maybe like six, seven years ago, it really sunk in. And, uh, yeah, I that feel box like I, helped. I feel like I had a similar 
thing. I remember, you know, I don't know, Bob Dylan's like everywhere, you know. So uh-huh. um, kind of growing up, I don't really actually remember my dad listening to Bob Dylan, but my my dad was really into things like Jim Croce and mm. Arnold Guthrie. I think my dad was really more into almost like the almost like the post, like it was like the probably the commercialization era of um, mm. kind of folk sing songwriters, you know. Yeah. Um, so that tended to be like my dad liked like bread and James Taylor and things, mm-hmm. but uh, Neil Young a lot, but not like Neil Young with a band. Uh, sure. But I do recall, I think like the first time I listened to Bob Dylan, it was just like free will and Bob Dylan. And I did not care for it when I first heard mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, I was like, I get it. Yeah. You know, but this isn't and many roads. <laughs> yeah. And, and so like, I don't even, it might've been probably around the same time, like six or seven years ago, just kind of like hearing, uh, I think it was actually the documentary, uh, no direction home. Oh yeah. That really mm-hmm. made it all make sense. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was probably about that long ago. So maybe it was that documentary for you too. Yeah. Um, I remember my, my dad was kind of like my cool older brother. Uh, he was, he's still buys more records than I do. Uh, it's, he's just constantly like finding new music and, uh, Dylan was one that he was like, he's the best. And we, you know, I was into like the music that he was showing me, but Dylan, it, it never really clicked. And I think he got me like the essential Bob Dylan as a birthday gift when I was 13 or 14. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Um, but I remember very specifically hearing Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts just on uh, Blood on the Tracks just in the car. And I don't know if you're familiar with that song, but it's eight and a half minutes, no chorus. Um, but it's just such a great story and it's got such a great vibe. And I was, I really remember just being like, Oh my God, this guy. And that was, I mean, I was probably 16 and I think I've consistently been listening to him since then. Um, have you heard the song from, I guess, I don't know. Time's weird right now. We'll say last year, uh, uh-huh. the JFK song uh, oh, that yeah. mentions Wolfman Jack. Uh-huh. Mentions yeah. everybody. That's like yeah. everybody who's ever existed gets mentioned in that song. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember very specifically um when that song was released and I I mean, yeah, we're totally gonna get into this at some point, but um I, I have a fascination with the Kennedy assassination. That's you know, it probably comes into my life around the same time as Bob Dylan does. Um, so I knew a little bit of background with him and that event in particular. Mm-hmm. And I remember that song came out in at like the end of March. And I, I think that during that time, you know, a couple weeks into the pandemic, I was pretty much finding like profundity and, literally everything that happened. So I remember waking up hearing that he'd released a song about the Kennedy assassination. I was like, Oh boy. 
this is this is something and i was uh i was like i wonder why he's doing it now i think that's what everybody was wondering like why now yeah but yeah that song's wild and that record's really good too yeah it's it is good it's one thing that was hard for me when i first when the record first came out that album cover um, not that album covers mean as much now when you're just streaming things but it straight up looks like there's this 1992 i think it is i'm just making up a year this movie called shag um okay and it's about it looks like just kind of around the early 90s there was just so much like shag dancing revival like the band alabama has that song shagging um okay you know so basically like late 80s early 90s just shag revival but that so bob dylan Austin record powers is of a different shagging well the shagging is like shag is like a dance yeah, um, yeah, yeah. so no, yeah. i'm just i'm fucking around <laughs> um definite different shagging um mm. but yeah i mean we jumped so far ahead into it that's like deep like i feel like it's like almost gotta like pull it back because that's that is not this record no <laughs> john wesley harding is not what we sort of like and i think the kind of what bob dylan is now uh-huh also was like a thing that was kind of hard for me to get into you know and so oh, to sure, sort yeah. of like recontextualize it like i had a friend that went and saw bob dylan many years ago but i mean he's been old forever uh but you know so it was like it was the bob dylan he saw was kind of like barely singing and kind of propped up at a at a keyboard yeah but it's like i've heard other people since and that was a while ago that was probably more than 10 years ago and i've heard people since say that he was great live and also you know him releasing the things like the crooner album so it's just like i don't (laughs) who is this man (laughs) it's it's wild because he's had I think he's had a number of like records in the last 30 years that have totally surprised people with how good they are. Time Out of Mind was 97. I think it's a fucking masterpiece. And uh, Modern Times was like 2006 or 2007. Uh, that's a, that record, a lot of it is about Hurricane Katrina, and it's got such a cool vibe great songs on that one too so yeah he's i mean he hasn't stopped touring for the last well i guess that you know aside from the pandemic but but we don't know he might be out there he might be out there just like playing playing real weird waltzy versions of simple twist of fate to nobody yeah <laughs> yeah it's like the thing where i mean i think he's he said it in interviews where it's like the i want to die on stage like mm-hmm. he truly is going to die on stage you know yeah. um like it's he is just like and i think of like words that are just seem like kind of cliche words you could throw out there but like he is all of those things like troubadour raconteur you know it's like mm-hmm but he is and he's like live that just like the so many lives of like a person like it makes me like just think about like my own life just like there was a part there was a point in my life where it was like people identified me as like 
Josh that's really into like metal or metalcore. <laughs> and then yeah, there's like, sure. you know, kind of like after that, it's like fast punk Josh or whatever kind of phase mm-hmm. you go through. Mm-hmm. But it's like no one was there to document that or not enough people cared. But it's like all of those faces of Bob Dylan are out there. And it's kind of like, which which Bob Dylan do you, did you want to jump into? And that can be like a hard not to crack almost like a guided by voices kind of thing but even more yeah yeah and i think that that to tie it to john wesley harding is pretty interesting because you find him coming out of the electric phase bob dylan with this record this is a follow-up to blonde on blonde and this is such a minimal and uh i guess austere record especially in comparison to blonde on blonde which was so much pomp and circumstance yeah yeah i mean it it surprised me i had never heard this record before you requested to do it um if i mean looking at it it was really just almost like everything in between that i listened to and for some reason not this record Uh, yeah it feels it feels similar to freewheeling but it's really not that at all. Yeah. Yeah. It gives you the, I'm trying okay. So there's a really great Bob Dylan record, uh, planet waves. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really not that record at all, but, it, but it sort of like allows you to almost like bridge the gap. Like if, if there were someone now that I know this record exists, if, if someone was like, I don't know if I like folk Bob Dylan, I would mm-hmm. potentially say, well, just listen to this record and this might bridge the gap, you know? Yeah, totally. The The folk Bob Dylan is very topical. Um, and this one is, it's such an interesting perspective because you're really not sure what's going on, like where these songs are coming from and where he's at. And I think that that's what has been one of the lasting values in it for me is that there's there's just so much distance but it's also like a really personal sounding record yeah yeah i mean i i do like his uh kind of like christian era and i don't even think oh, i this had... record sounds so good yeah, yeah. yeah. um what, what's crazy about it um is that I feel like I, I have this I have this idea that like one day I'll make a record that only has the things that need to be there. Mm. And um this is that record, you know. Oh, I yeah, don't it's absolutely. I don't know how I I feel like it's like when I'm listening to a record that does that, I'm just like I'm just like God you know, just like God damn it, you mm-hmm. did it. You know, it's like mm-hmm. there isn't there doesn't need to be anything else on this record. But to sort of like have that feeling, I mean, the 60s, I feel like the late 60s were different, but it's still really bare, but in like the best way. Yeah, totally. And um, this was recorded around the time where he was living up in Woodstock, New York with the band and they were making the basement tapes either before or after this time. I think that the basement tapes, were all recorded before this but um they definitely kind of spur this songwriting and these types of ballads that he's writing but he 
he asked uh, Robbie Robertson like about coming down to do overdubs, and Robbie was like, "No, this, I, I don't think you should make any changes to this. Yeah, you shouldn't add anything to it." Which is, you know, it's it's kind of, um, you know, there are those records that kind of get mythologized as demos that uh, Bonnie Vare, uh, Forever, Emma, for you know, you know the one. But that yeah. was all demos, and then. Um, someone was like, no, you should actually release it as is. And I think that there's something really, really magical about that idea that like, you know, this is just the demo or this is just like the bare tracks, but finding out after the fact that it's like the finished version as it should be you remove a little bit of uh of like you know authorial intent it's a little bit more naked yeah yeah which i think's cool yeah i mean i think that whenever people start adding like solo artists when they start adding like a band i feel like sometimes like you feel like you lose some emotion of the solo artist itself so like it's like i have friends that you know put out solo records or intend to and i'm like fight the urge to add more you know mm -hmm. it's it's tough but it's like that's what you kind of want out of that artist you know so it has a full band but there's there's points in this record like like as i went out on the morning mm -hmm. where you really feel like the bass is carrying a lot of things <laughs> dude that yeah. that bass line is so good and it's got such a hook to it yeah and just the amount of tension that that bass can hold too like when he i mean what's wild about this song that song in particular is that the verse is really just like d minor to c to d minor it's just back and forth between those two chords and yeah, whenever he he goes to like kind of the the F, um, just the way that bass comes in and just like adds so much tension, and then like fucking Kenny Buttery is playing with brushes, but like fuck me if those aren't like he's banging on that kit so hard. Yeah, it's. It's magic, man. And that's what this record feels like. It's almost like mm -hmm. y'all know the song, you go with it. And I'll just yeah. kind of like take me out of the equation and respond off, off of everything you know. Totally. Like how this sounds, yeah. Yeah, and that's like how he was working at this time too, um, where they put out a box a couple of years ago called The Cutting Edge. And mm -hmm. it's all of the takes from the like 64 through 66 or something like that it's basically bringing it all back home highway 61 and blonde on blonde just everything they recorded and he's got the songs he's got the chords and he's just playing it one way if it works maybe they'll do another take of it if it's not working he just stops so all of the songs that come out from that are just like 
he had the idea he knew the chords he knew like where it where he wanted it to go and he tried it a few different ways and the bands that he was playing with were good enough to just follow along yeah yeah one of the uh it may be from the same like box set era but there's it's like live with like the band but uh there's like a one specific song where it's like they're kind of going into a part but the drummer doesn't know so you can kind of like feel him faking Mm -hmm. it you know and kind Mm -hmm. of like going in almost like i mean backwards to the beat isn't the right term but it's almost just like not what you play but just you can hear him like settle into it um which is like a weird thing to think of like if you compare it to kind of like music now yeah Um, and if you like even with as i went out one morning uh there's like i wouldn't call them mistakes but Mm. there's parts where it's not really lined up yeah you know it almost sounds like it almost sounds like if you're listening to something digitally and then your computer skips in a way where it's like you know Uh (laughs) but it's like it's not it's like that uh jazz thing of like if you play the wrong note kind of slide into the right note kind of you know yeah (laughs) and that's great i love that and it's not like to a metronome you know it just kind of goes in every sort of whim you know yeah i mean it's obviously not on this record um but i mean the story is just so good um when they were recording like a rolling stone al cooper was i think he was in there as a guitarist and he wasn't doing anything and then he said to the producer like oh i've got an organ part for this song and he's like all right cool he didn't he didn't know the song he didn't know the chords so the organ line in like a rolling stone everything is an eighth note behind or he's like resting for an eighth note and then when they record when they were mixing it dylan's just like turn the organ up and that's like Al Cooper's career is yeah. just made right there. Like when I hear stories like that, I feel like I don't even know what to say about it. You know, like it's just like I read it and then just like shake my head. Like, you I know, know. like, wow, yes. you know, <laughs> <laughs> just like, I don't know, just like how often my mind is like blown by those things. I just feel like I feel like I'm like. 15 watching like behind the musics for the first time you know Yo, yeah 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 and i'm like two bass parts like... on that lou reed song ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah my life has been like dictated by watching behind the music when i was growing up it's like where, everything where do you feel like you picked up on uh that little nugget of knowledge like was it from kind of reading liner notes or when you hear something like that's an eighth note behind, do you mm-hmm. feel like you pick up on that? No, no, I have, I don't have a great musical ear, but I do have like a voracious appetite for reading things. Um, and I, that's, that's actually, that's a story that gets like told in a lot of different ways, but I wouldn't be surprised if like my dad told me that story. Cause that's just like, what he passed on to me was like not only is this shit great but like check out this thing that he probably read in a magazine somewhere yeah 
Yeah, I feel like um, not to call your dad's authority in question, uh, <laughs> but a lot of times I feel I can't even think of any specific examples. I had so many times growing up where my dad would like tell me something about like classic rock radio and then I would spout it to someone as an authority and they oh. were like, what? Like, it's, it's just like how much like your parents can just kind of like tell you something, mm-hmm. you know, and you're just like, all right, you know, <laughs> like, just like, that's a fact. You yeah. Know? Maybe it was yeah. messing with you. <laughs> yeah. Just like, uh, totally random. But like, I remember I had a RoboCop toy mm-hmm. and it had a detachable arm on it um, that I think, cause you would put like a gun on it. Um, so I lost the hand. And I was like, dad, I don't have the hand anymore. He goes, I'll make you one out of wood, you know? <laughs> and that's all. I was just that like goes, waiting. You that know? goes against all the principles of RoboCop. Dad, yeah. If you want to make me a hand, you, you need to at least like solder it. Yeah. Which would have been <laughs> maybe easier. Yeah. You know, I probably would have been pleased with like a glob of solder, you know, as a kid. <laughs> You know, but just the image of like my dad whittling, like kind of to spec mm. a hand, you know, for Robocop. Yeah, I love it. Is it feels like when you hear kind of rock stories growing up and you're like, you know, James <laughs> Taylor did this. And then your friend's like, what? That's <laughs> idiotic. Yeah. Uh, like there was a, there's a story of, uh, maybe it's in, some kind of monster you know i'm not sure but there was someone that says that like james hetfield just did like one take of each each vocal is just one strong take Mm -hmm. and there's not any overdubs and i'm like well that's i just don't it's like i don't know if i believe it i don't (laughs) think that that gets mentioned in some kind of monster um but i mean that's wild if true yeah, you know, Bob Rock, I guess, you know. But yeah. A uh well another Bob produced this record, Bob Johnston. Mm-hmm. Uh did you know anything about him? I know that he produces most of the Dylan material. I think he comes in on bringing it all back home. He worked with some he worked with someone in-house at Columbia for the first few records. And I think once the electric instruments started coming, Bob Johnston came in. Yeah. So I think Bob Johnston, he certainly produces the that run of Bring It All Back Home, Highway 61, Blonde on Blonde, and then uh, this record. And I wouldn't be surprised if he just keeps going yeah yeah i i looked the thing i looked up about him just like uh it looked like he did some work with marty robbins flats and scruggs the birds but it looked like not kind of it looked like the reformation birds and mm-hmm. loudon wainwright and yeah. john mayall um so i don't know pretty good run i think <laughs> yeah i think that um i think that johnston was a columbia guy that would this was like during the time when uh producers were just kind of contracted to record companies yeah but it's odd to think like just 
So it's really like this record was recorded and you kind of went into it. It was recorded in three days, which is wild. I mean, not necessarily when you listen to it, it's wild. It's just like, so it's, it's, that's not a common thing. That might be more common with like me and my friends bands, you know, (laughs) right. You know, um, but not even so much, you know? Mm hmm. Um, so it was like October 17th, November 6th, November 29th, and then it was released December 27th, which also, uh, pressing plants that turnaround, yeah, were fast. Uh huh. I don't even know what to say to that, but it's like, uh, someone, it's like someone got it, got the tape, mm-hmm. and then got it in their car. And then it's like, I imagine Bob Dylan was running after him. We got to mix it more, you know? And yeah. then they're like, no, we got to take it to United, you know? And they drove from New York <laughs> down to Nashville to get it, you know, pressed. Yeah. So it'd be out in time. Yeah. Well, they recorded it in Nashville. So I think so they, that they just went next door. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> Bob Dylan has said in interviews that I guess the character that is John Wesley Harding it's like if you look at the initials i don't know if you had notes on this but like jwh is yahweh to him oh that's really interesting yeah yeah and that huh and and so much of this stuff is based on the old testament yeah so yeah that's that's a really interesting little bit there I think it's really wild that John Wesley Harding is not a real person. It's John Wesley Hardin. Yeah. I, I think that that is, it's one of many like factual inaccuracies that are all over this record. This record has so many similar errors that I just find, I find that to be a really interesting thing because I think you're looking at it and it's like, is he, does he know? Like, what's he doing here? Yeah, I mean, that seems to kind of like play into, I guess like almost like the, like his whole career, it's like playing with the facts, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of creating your own story around the facts, you know? Yeah. Like a, uh, <laughs> like a, almost like a what if, like with comics, you know? <laughs> oh, like, totally. Uh, so I think like the, even the, if it's almost like he puts it out there. So it's true. It's like J J W H mm-hmm. is Yahweh. And it's like, you know, it's like the Yahweh thing is like, that's Y H W H the, you know, tetragrammaton, uh, uh-huh. like the old Testament. There's, there's this book called in the beginning by Isaac Asimov. Oh, and okay. it goes yeah. into it goes into the idea of like identifying different parts of the Bible and when they were written. And so there's like an original text and there's an update, but this is all for the Old Testament. And essentially they're all pushed together. But you can sort of tell by like the vengeful God um versus mm-hmm. like a more repentant God. Um so but that but that also sort of I guess this is my this is my Christian slam for the podcast, oh, yeah. um, where it's sort of like that also does feel like a Christian thing to sort of like play loose with the facts, you know, <laughs> just like make your own story. Yeah, yeah. You know? Check um, out track track number three for one of the great uh, uh, 
fact uh, manipulators. But that that book sounds super interesting. Now, As Asimov uh, is uh, is a science fiction author that I know that I'm afraid of because he seems very intimidating, right? But that but the yeah. book that you're talking about is scholarly, or is it? It's scholarly and not that hard because if it were hard, I wouldn't have read it. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I say that as an English major, um, but it was it was more so interesting. I mean, you actually in one of your in one of your episodes, the one with uh, Caleb from Sinai Vessel. So I realized on that episode that Caleb was raised Pentecostal. I didn't know that, you know, yeah. but I always. <laughs> It's, it always felt like it was like there's something about Caleb that he's not telling me. <laughs> and I was also raised Pentecostal. Um, there's almost a sect of Pentecostalism that's like more strict. So they don't technically like to be called Pentecostals. Uh, they're oh. called apostolics. Oh, but okay. For you and me, <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, Pentecostal. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, so it was something that that book specifically, it was something that interested me. Um just the idea, the main idea is kind of like you can take the creation story and tie it to evolution. Like one doesn't have to be, you mm -hmm. know, you don't, you don't have to forsake one for the other. Right. Is a lot of the point of the book. And he kind of shows like, you know, this was written by someone probably around this time frame. And so, but that's, mm -hmm. like, that's kind of like where he starts the book and then it goes very scholarly. Yeah. Um, and so that was my long way of explaining. You know, I mean, that. I find all of that stuff pretty fascinating. Um, you know, whether it be like the representation in the Bible or just the like, we all evolved from fish. Yeah. It's written into the text of literally everything that we were all fish at some point whether it be like Darwin's telling us that or fucking Pythagoras is telling us that. Yeah. Like it's, it's strange to me. Like, I mean, I don't consider myself Christian now or, you know, um, you know, I don't know how hard this pandemic will be. Maybe it'll drive me back um, to things, but you know, like I don't, I don't understand like why people can't kind of have both in a way mm. like it's like mm -hmm. your belief doesn't i mean i guess like that book really says like your belief and that kind of opened my eyes and almost like helped me not be so angry about christianity anymore yeah. <laughs> like um i feel like it was something that you know it's kind of forced to do as a kid and then moved out of but it's kind of like then now i feel like i'm just like whatever makes you happy you know <laughs> like mm -hmm. if it gives your life meaning you know then who am i you know, sure. um, you know, so it's like, but I remember even like in school, like just the idea, like the push and pull with like evolution and whatnot and feeling like it was at odds. Like I wasn't supposed to hear that, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, kind of getting to a point where it's like, well, if someone believes it, you know, um, it kind of makes me think about the reason I'm even bringing that up is like Bob Dylan's relationship with Christianity is really odd. To mm -hmm. put it you know, so broadly. A couple of things uh, that you said, I think, tie into uh, this. But um, 
This comes. This record comes after Bob Dylan has a motorcycle accident. Um, not too much is known about like the extent of his injuries, but he almost died. And if you look at like where he was at, he's basically just like uh, he. If the, if his life ends there, it's you know the James Dean arc of uh damn that one got taken away from us huh but um so he kind of like drops off a little bit and he's living in woodstock new york and the house that he's renting there's a bible that's there and he's reading it and he was he said that like prior to that he just didn't know the Bible like at all. He wasn't raised with it, doesn't know sort of the oldest stories. And when he starts making music again, it's like a combination of like old folk, American folk music and like ancient stories and ballads. And I think that I guess one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot with the pandemic is that what tends to happen when something something shifts is that people tend to return to just the oldest forms. And I think that like, you know, what you're saying about your experience with uh, Christianity, I think a lot of people around our age are sort of looking to a spiritual self in ways that we really haven't before. And I think that you're seeing our people our age are kind of like rediscovering older forms of, uh, you know, just the spiritual self. And that kind of aligns with like the resurgence or I guess the like gaining popularity of like astrology but i think that i see this record a lot as returning back to that point of origin and it's like these are such like old feeling songs they're injected with dylan and the way he writes but it's that like you know back to the ground back to like the folk art and like the stories of the beginning and starting something new from there rather than like a continuation of you know modernity mm -hmm. i i think what's funny sometimes what is uh you may know that what western movie i'm thinking of it's uh the one he he was in uh around this time yeah uh pat garrett and billy the kid mm -hmm. and um i mean that, that's definitely like what they're looking to but it's funny it's like what did music sound like in the old west outside of like what we know from a almost like a 60s retelling or mm -hmm. back to the future three you know right <laughs> which uh -huh. would be zz top so that's a different thing um you know but like it's like does looking back is that even accurate to what you know the music would have 
Ben, I know obviously like music from the 1890s or whatever would have sounded right. nothing like this, but it's like, yeah. what are they looking back to? I guess it's just an idea. You know? mm-hmm. It's totally an idea. And I think that this record is maybe not like going to, you know, very specifically trying to like take from a sound or a vibe, but it is like it's simplicity. It's like these songs are all like so many of them are just three verses mm-hmm. with no chorus, which is wild. I think the first like four songs on here are just three verses. Um, and then like the ballad of Frankie Lee and Judas Priest, which is just like, you know, a traveler's tale or whatever. Yeah. But it's like, um, you know, I, I to me, this sounds older than when he was trying to be Woody Guthrie. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, do you know, if you were to almost like tell a, like, I feel like there's almost like a story here in this record. And it's like, am I looking into it too much? Or is there like a tale that it almost tells throughout the running time? Well, I think so important I think to answering that question is that the title track and I'll be your baby tonight come after the fact mm-hmm. like I think that those last two songs were written after everything else was laid down and when you're listening to those two songs they do sound like they're not as um they're not as tied in to the rest of the material on the record. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if this was you setting me up, but I think that a large portion of this record and specifically side one is it has a lot to do with him sort of um, taking in the last six years of his life and sort of specifically starting with the Kennedy assassination. So preamble, like th- I love the Kennedy assassination. Yeah. I want to get, yeah, I definitely endlessly give fascinating to that. Um, and, but I think, you know, we've kind of been talking about this too. The, the, the thing with the Kennedy assassination and like with talking about it is like you meet a bunch of loons, but the way that I like interpret it is that you have these conspiracy theories that whether or not they're true, it would be, it would be dishonest to answer like historically what happened that day if you weren't to address the conspiracy theories? Like if if someone knew nothing and said, oh, who shot John F. Kennedy? And you just said, oh, Lee Harvey Oswald did it by himself. You wouldn't be telling that person the truth. You would have to say like, here's however much you want to get into it. But um, so when 
when he released that song at the beginning of the pandemic and i was like holy shit i can't believe he's he's doing this this is fucking insane like i knew a few things about his relationship to that event but i really went hard into some of the biography and learned quite a bit about that day in particular and a lot of that shit shows up on this record um in november or like the second half of 1963 he just made another side of bob dylan and was not or no he hadn't just made it but he was feeling disillusioned with being part of like the protest singer movement and he was starting to write poems and he was starting to write plays and like starting to think that maybe he was ready to like move on from songwriting and when kennedy was shot he spent that weekend like writing poems about the assassination he wrote like 10 of them and one of them was like for Jacqueline Kennedy and one of them like specifically has words that show up in the song Chimes of Freedom and Clinton Hayden wrote a book about Dylan and he refers to like the chain of flashing images that are in that song and then it was like that germinates the entire like electric period it's like what he does is he he just presents like a bunch of images at you and then you look at a song like subterranean homesick blues and that's that's what it is it's like his entire like writing process becomes so cinematic and um around that time like i think the week after he was he was presented an award um for it was like the thomas Paine freedom award and at that speech he uh he, he accepted the award insulted the audience said that all he sees in the in the crowd is like old people and he doesn't ever want to be that and he's glad to say that he's a young person and then he said that he like identified with lee harvey oswald he's like <laughs> Um, which really fucking, he got like shuffled out and he like gave an apology. But as I went out one morning, mentions Tom Paine and, um, there are songs like I dreamed I saw St. Augustine where there's just like this tremendous sense of guilt that he's communicating that is well it's interesting because he says i was one of the men that put saint augustine to his death but saint augustine wasn't like martyred he just lived a life yeah like going back to the inaccuracies but like the like guilt that exists in that song and in drifter's escape where you have like justice carried out the wrong way is like 
to me, there's a link to Lee Harvey Oswald. And all along the Watchtower is like that whole scene feels to me very symbolic of the Kennedy assassination. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that like, you know, to, cause that song's really interesting because like the last verse is like horsemen show up and like, that's the end of the song, which is so insane because it feels like the horsemen should be at the beginning of this song, but they actually come towards the end. So to think that like all of this craziness that's going on in the first two verses is really just the prelude to the actual like fucking apocalypse coming. And I guess I, I, I sort of see some symbolism in, in that and just like the, you know, downward trend that we like that America experienced after that event was just Vietnam and civil rights, like struggling. Um, but yeah. And then in the, you know, Nixon and, you know, yeah. You know, stagflation and mm-hmm. Reaganomics. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just, <laughs> it keeps getting worse. Yeah. Um, but I mean, to me, like the big one is the ballad of Frankie Lee and Judas Priest. Like Frankie Lee, to me, seems obvious that yeah. there's a, a Lee Harvey Oswald uh, correlation. And I think that that story sort of tells something similar to what what happened with Lee Harvey Oswald where he gets sort of like sucked into this plot but he doesn't really have any control though he did put himself where he put himself um and just like the way that it ends with you know the the young person coming in and like sort of saying nothing is revealed I find it to be a just similar enough to Jack Ruby for me to be like, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of reckoning with like that assassination. Yeah. Do you feel like when looking at this record, have you kind of uh, tried to, I mean, it sounds like you have to a degree uh, tried to kind of do like a one-to-one with certain events and. Yeah. I mean, I think that like, I think Dylan, Dylan's a fascinating writer because trying to do anything one-to-one with him is like a fool's game yeah yeah. he's never gonna like give it all yeah but i i just i see a lot of those just like points of reference that to me seem like you know really indicative of of that and then there's other songs that he has um like it's all right ma i'm only bleeding which is on bringing it all back home the first verse of that is like that's about the kennedy assassination it's like pretty clear it's like darkness at the break of noon something's you know 
you look yeah. at it and it's like, oh, cool. That's, you know, the prince just got popped off. Nobody's safe. Anybody who's, anybody who ain't busy being born is busy dying. And I feel like his career moving forward is just like him. They're rebirthing himself, him like finding a new way to continue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like, you know, just to kind of think about something that we were mentioning, I don't, I don't want us to get off of the JFK thing. I want to keep talking about it, but uh, just thinking about the kind of one-to-one thing, I, I like that you can't always draw the parallel because I think that's what makes the Christian era records good. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like they're like when I first started digging into them, I didn't really know they were the Christian era records, but when you start realizing, you're like, Oh, there's basically a cross on this, yeah, this record, totally, some of totally. it, but it's like, but it's like, I know these almost like telling stories in this way that it doesn't take you out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I mean, other than really the new song, from last year he's often more cryptic i think he's kind of taken the veil back more as he gets closer to you know rejoining jfk again one day Mm -hmm. um you know but um but he's he's generally like there i like that there's not a one-to-one it does make me almost like think of a correlation which seems you know you, you mentioned that you read a lot i don't know if you've read like any stephen king um or you know uh, what i've been like dreaming of doing that it's what's kind of funny to make the correlation is like if there's certain things in this album that Mm -hmm. almost like creates like threads that can go to other albums that's like stephen king in a nutshell (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, and also if you think about them it's just almost like being in their own lanes different pieces of americana in certain respects uh there's even the uh stephen king book that became like a Hulu series um, called Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three. Yeah. Um, and Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three ties in with other, like there's other threads uh, of mm-hmm. things like thinnies and uh, different universe kind of crossing things I that love that shit yeah that happens. So there's a lot. Um, but I also think when I'm thinking about it now, I almost wonder if like, I guess it's probably that Stephen King might have been influenced by things like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah i mean if that was I, created that world yet i i feel like it's kind of i mean could you imagine like not having uh like 9-11 like just written into your worldview to yeah. a certain extent and you know don delillo wrote a book called libra that was sort of a fictionalized um account of the assassination that was more of him just like trying to make sense trying to just like you know follow lee harvey oswald through a story that would put him where he was that day and like how that could have happened and i i read a lot of like delillo interviews around that time and um and he he refers to it basically just as like like the defining moment of like all of his fiction he's like i don't i don't think i could i don't think anything that i do would exist without the kennedy assassination and just like the way that that moment has so much inside of it you know it's 
um, it's seven seconds that it, it's you, you will never be able to like t you'll never be able to stop gathering information about that seven seconds just because it comes constantly it's never stopped yeah it's strange that it's i mean it's obviously like such a touchstone and i guess men of a certain age um and how it affected their life like just obviously um but it, it's it makes me wonder with kind of with looking back at like u.s history i mean there have been other presidents assassinated mm -hmm. i mean i guess the lincoln one if whatever literature was coming out yeah. 10 or so years later was obviously a byproduct of that mm -hmm. you know um i could even like into the advent of film you know um i guess mm -hmm. what 40 or so years later um so i guess i'm kind of miss i'm kind of proving myself wrong but it's so sort of well, like I mean, why if that you look event. at like if you look like walt whitman yeah well you know everything like looking back on it it's like everything that he was writing like almost leads up to and then reacts to lincoln getting assassinated um but like to to answer the question of like why that event i think it's just because it was so traumatic and i mean the the fact too that like you know, they found Lee Harvey Oswald within a couple of hours. And then two days later, Lee Harvey Oswald got shot like live on TV. Everybody saw that happen. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think it's like, it's an interesting point in the like TV generation because mm -hmm. it's, it's like such, it wasn't a televised event, but I think that that it almost was. Yeah, it almost <laughs> it's was. It's as and... close as we would have gotten. So I think that mm -hmm. kind of helps me answer the question. Uh, sorry for cutting you off. Um, it's just that would have been really the first time that information would have spread to that at that speed. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it probably did. Hit, it almost was able to hit people instantaneous while probably Lincoln being assassinated who knows how long that would have taken to reach some people, mm -hmm. you know? So, mm -hmm. so you have, it's like you become, that's like maybe like one of the first instances of like a collective grief. Yeah. 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 Um, it's a, it's a huge one for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even thinking, I guess in relation to, it's like what sort of events can we point to in like American history that are that much of a changing instant? Well, I think that it's it's interesting too to like remember that that time was, you know, I think Dylan talks about it in he does he talks about it in No Direction Home when he was saying like I, you know, had a when I was growing up I had a vision of you know maybe being a like a fighter pilot and you know maybe dying in a heroic war but by the time i was old enough i realized that there weren't really any wars to fight anymore but to think that like that was someone like bob dylan's like childhood dream i mean 
that sounds so quaint and like sure like little kids like are into stuff like that but like did you ever think about joining the army like i fucking did not yeah i was already like i think i think that like what happens after the kennedy assassination is that it what also follows it is just like continual like proof that like the government is lying to you um you know when the when the warren commission report was uh issued people believed it um but there were a lot of people who weren't buying it but then like when watergate came it was like nobody trusted the government and i don't think i don't think it really like picked itself back up and i mean like ronald reagan campaigned on the like well you can't trust the government like you don't want you don't want the government around and i think that like just the there was a a closeness between like america and the american people at that time that really it's like the reaction was as if like a family member had died but all of the like uncertainty that followed i think really you see people start to distance themselves from the united states of america american citizens start to distance themselves from like feeling like this country's their own yeah i mean like even when you think oh the zapruder film was like 75 well i'm not sure when that was actually like made public because it wasn't released for a really long time yeah and i think that like for me personally like seeing that because i saw oliver stone's jfk yeah which i think like what i was told (laughs) going into watching that was like this movie's all bullshit but then when they show that zapruder film in the movie i was like well what the fuck is that is that like a recreation or is that the actual thing and so i i remember like going on the internet like pre-youtube and like looking at this thing over and over again and just i don't know being so transfixed with just like well what is what is this yeah yeah it's a tough thing i mean i think like to kind of even go back to what you were saying about um (laughs) the idea of like joining the military um so like uh, my a lot of my family were like navy people but mm-hmm. growing up like i don't know being into punk like that was never anything that i would have considered doing and it's funny because i actually feel like i just rem- thought of this it's like it's been pushed so far out of my mind on a day-to-day basis but i was telling a friend like when i turned 17 um because of like getting in a car accident like i signed up for the navy <laughs> Mm-hmm. and it was like i don't know any way out of this because i need like money to go to i need to be able to go to school just yeah. poor family stuff mm-hmm. really like you can that's really the story i'm telling so yeah. it's even going back to like the idea of like christianity and spirituality it's like sometimes there's events in your life that happen that make you do things that you wouldn't have expected and that's my point of bringing it up oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's like i this must have affected 
you know, people like Bob Dylan or who everyone really in a way that sort of like puts you on a path that you didn't expect, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I would have never expected to want to, to sign up for the name. Right. Right. Yeah. Totally. And I think that like, um, you know, when he released that song a couple weeks into the pandemic, I think the first, the first thing that I thought was like, okay, he's, he's relating that moment to where we are right now. Cause where we are right now is, you know, such an historic, uh, anomaly. Um, and it's changing so many things about our lives and we're still not even like out from it yet. We still don't know like how this is going to affect our daily lives once we're able to go outside again. Yeah. Um, so I think that that, that sort of spurred me to, you know, I mean, any, what, what else was I going to do? Like, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's better than like, uh, something breaking in your brain and you becoming like QAnon, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, uh, totally. digging deep into things that threaded into Bob Dylan records is the healthier thing to do tim i think you made the right decision you know uh <laughs> thank you yeah I, but i do think about like that a point of like growing up and uh searching that stuff out like the zapruder film and um i i don't want to speak for you but i felt like now i feel like if i had continued down that path i would have become like like a libertarian i guess you know yeah totally yeah. i mean it's all like we're it's all, all kind of working with the same materials. Um, I think like, especially as like white dudes, the like path to libertarianism is like just made to seem so obvious because yeah. it's like, well, why should I care about anybody else? No one handed me anything, but I don't know. I like for me, I personally think like a good conspiracy theory is part of a healthy existence. Yeah. And, uh, and it just like, you know, the Kennedy assassination never stops providing me with something yeah, to yeah. like check back in on. Sometimes. Um, yeah. Sometimes what I like to do with people that, um, we'll say family, my fa my family basically is like all right wing. I don't know how he got away. Mm -hmm. Um, but like if someone brings up kind of, I guess, right wing conspiracy, you know, one of the things I like to do, I'm like, you just heard about this? You know, it's kind of like, like when oh, I hear yeah. people talk about even like, I guess, going in the QAnon stuff, it's like, I read about that shit, like, like stuff that you're talking about, like 15 years ago, you know, yeah. and it's like, it's almost like somebody that never read sci-fi and or then never got like, into punk. Yeah, they're yeah. like 40 and yeah. they just hear it. And so it just blows their brain back and then they gotta like recontextualize it and it just goes in a weird direction because we've had like little bits along the way that sort of mm -hmm. like set yeah. us up i mean that's that's something that i you know i i love watching like mask protests like i love watching people like freak out about having to wear a mask and like hear some of the things that they spew off and it's just like yo you're fucking 20 years behind. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, did you actually think that, like, 
we should go to war with Iraq? <laughs> Come on. Fucking. Yeah. Step they're like, up. I saw one and was like, did you see how much money they're giving to Israel? And it's like, y'all yeah, been no. Like, I've been mad about that forever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or like the, um, oh, what is the one I'm thinking of? Uh, oh, like someone, uh, someone was like, well, you and Joe, you love Joe Biden. And I was like, Joe Biden fucking sucks. And mm. then they were like, they didn't know what to say after that. Cause it's just like, yeah. they're like, he's not your guy. Like, I don't, what? <laughs> yeah. I had a similar exchange where I was like, yo, fuck Bernie Sanders, man. That guy likes the police. Are you yeah. kidding me? And then it's like, yeah, stone face. Like, oh, wait, like, hold on. Like, yeah, it's really easy to not like fit into a a box when your box is so small for how yeah. anybody else like could think which is sad but yeah. yeah i mean if there's a way we can bring it back to but i will say about like drawing the line between bob dylan and like i guess growing up mm -hmm. like punk do you think like some of the questions that he seems to ask uh fits into that i mean i feel like i'm asking yeah. it rhetorically yeah um, you know, i mean in a way yeah totally i his just like his distrust in any type of like authority figure and i think like it's it's obviously there in like the protest songs but like it really really comes into his own in like you know 64 and 65 where it's it's not just like about a topic it's about the state of mind that you either fall in line with it or you have to question it and I think that like, like I, I, I feel like punk is just such a great moment of just like spiritual rebirth. I think it's like a great, it's honestly, it's a great example of like a lot of the things that we were talking about of just, you know, seeing all of the like, like bullshit that got attached to rock and roll and just being like, no, we're here. We know three chords. We know how to play them really loud and only need two minutes for this song. So that's all we're gonna do. It's just like, I don't know. There's um, there's a real power in, in simplicity. And I think that, yeah, I, I feel like Dylan, Dylan's just always like walking his own path. And I think that that's, inspiring do you remember hearing i feel like i can't think of many instances of actually hearing bob dylan on the radio growing up no not really um i do remember like uh i do remember like one summer my mom um owned a flower shop in woodstock illinois and i had a i had a burn cd that was bringing it all back home and highway 61 revisited uh just on one disc and i remember 
that summer just listening to it over and over and over again and just feeling like he was pounding me over the head with so much of just like so much like freedom and it was like he's he's telling you shit that is just like pointing the finger directly at you and saying like you're fucked yeah but also he's just having so much fun like you listen to some of those songs and it's just like all the takes are super loose he's just like he's coming at it with just nothing but like exuberance and fun energy and that completely like rocked me i I remember i mean this this was on blonde on blonde but um that was another burn cd where i remember listening to uh stuck inside a mobile with the memphis blues again for the first time and that's a really good like you know you listen to the uh Charlie McCoy's like bass lines on that, like after the chorus where he's just like filling in the space and you kind of envision him like just being like, well, I don't know, like, how's this? And just every time it like turns back into the verse, I was just like, yes, one more time. All right. Yeah, yeah I love that feeling and uh, kind of, I mean, not even solos. It's just like, mm-hmm. a, you know, it's just a part of the song where it's like you don't know what he's kind of churning into but then when it hits the verse he's on the one yeah you know it's like there's like a uh i don't know it was i can't remember what podcast it was but uh they're just talking about the idea that's like james brown was always just like you got to get back to the one yep whatever you do get Mm -hmm. back to the one Mm -hmm. and that there's there's a lot of that in this record too it's like wherever you're kind of go in the meantime you're getting back to the one um but when I think about what you made me think about when you're talking about, like, I guess, being at the flower shop or maybe working, because that's how a family mm. business would work. Um, I worked like during summers at this mechanic shop that was like rebuilding starters and alternators. And for some reason, which seems like not to their speed, but they had a Warren Zevon uh, mm. record then, mm-hmm. you know, just on CD, like greatest hits. And when I heard like rolling the headless Thompson gunner, like the things that it lays out in the song kind of in the same way that Bob Dylan does, um, or even like punk does, (laughs) but -hmm. it's like, it's telling you about an event and it's sort of like playing with the facts, but also teaching you a history lesson, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it just like blew my brain. And so I just hit repeat on the CD player. Yeah. and made everyone listen to it for like the rest of the day you know those <laughs> those kind of moments when you're like of that age where you're like what mm-hmm. what do, i don't even know what music this is yeah i mean i think that that's like one of the most exciting things about art is when you can listen to something or, or see a painting and you're just like suddenly you know you're you're reading about the Spanish Civil War or you're, you know, you're reading about like whoever was fucking kicking it at like this club in New York and it's like, oh, like, who's that guy? Oh, cool. Oh, I, I didn't know that like 
people took pictures like that in 1952 that's sick you know yeah like whenever you're just whenever you're brought into a like a larger atmosphere that is more than the song but the song is like always like encapsulating it it's so special yeah yeah but i guess before i let you go um i feel like i i have to almost ask like the question of like who is tim crisp because i feel like because you have your own podcast you mm-hmm. know people don't really stop the conversation and ask you just how you're doing or what you're up to you know uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um i that was that's a funny thing um but yeah i mean i just like I, i'm a shy person and i i don't really do a ton outside of my home um i've got two dogs uh i've got a partner and we uh we're all very tight the four of us and i mean i'm always like trying to be reading something and listening to something new and um enjoying like the time that i get to spend like by myself um or just like you know with with my partner with my dogs um but i also love like meeting people and doing podcasts has helped me to meet more people and like deal with the nervousness that i feel when i'm outside of like my comfort zone so it's like i get to bring them and i get to be like tell me about you <laughs> and that's uh that's a good way to to learn i don't think i answered your question very no, well no i think but... you, i think you kind of i think you did and i think it's been it's like been important for me um and i guess i'm just kind of like seeing similarities with myself um i feel like i'm someone that can be very shy but if I'm on a in a kind of one-on-one conversation, I'll talk to that person too much, you know. But mm-hmm. groups are groups are scary, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, but so so it's tough, you know. Uh, which seems like a strange thing, like since I played in bands forever, um, you know. But yeah, I don't I don't tend like if I see a group you know, now there's different connotations with that. Uh, but in the normal times, uh, if I were to see a group and there's one of my friends in there, I'm like, well, I'm not talking to that friend, you know, <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's, you know, terrifying, uh-huh. uh, to be in that position. Yeah. You know? Totally. I think you've said on like your podcast, like you're stopping drinking is what I'm trying to say. You know, uh, like, yeah. mm-hmm. like that journey that it's been for you. I I've done the same thing. And it got to a point where when I was in college, where it was easier just to tell people I was straight edge, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. not that I don't really, I fall in line completely with that. And I love hardcore music, but as I've gotten older, you know, right. Right. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it's, but it was 
a struggle, you know, not drinking. And I don't, if you, if you're not even comfortable kind of, you know, talking about this, it's. Oh no, fine. it's, I don't go to meetings. So I sort of, uh, you know, have a, just like running AA meeting that I sort of just bring people in on just so I can get that part of me just out. Um, but yeah, no, I, um, I, I just sort of like grew up no and like my mom quit drinking when I was in high school and my parents were pretty open with me just about like this is how this works you're probably gonna have to deal with it someday and I I think that I've always known like in my brain that I have a tough time with uh just like compulsive behaviors so I knew that I was going to have to like hard line stop at some point and I guess I just like got ahead of it um I I thought that I needed to stop um and it's a good thing that I did I think most people that I knew were surprised by me thinking that I needed to stop but you know it's if you're thinking about, oh, I should stop drinking, you probably should and are probably like going to have to only because you're thinking about it more than a normal person should. So I think that I was just like very aware with like my own thinking patterns. And so I was 27 when I stopped drinking. And like it, it that's a young age to stop. I think it like, really changed my social life a lot um which is kind of why like better yet was a good thing for me was because i wasn't like meeting as many new people so i was like okay cool well this is like i got this energy i gotta put it somewhere so yeah not not drinking in like social situations is still something that you know it's it's so strange yeah you know it's like i don't know it's like just things like I don't know what to do with my hands, you know. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to drink five sodas in place of it, you know. There's not anything yeah. that sort of like fit, like kind of like fills it. Like if I have, I mean, if I had like six beers, you know, there would be a feeling I'd have. But if I had six sodas, you know, I'd feel pretty bad too, in a different way. But it's like nothing yeah. really even replaced that, you know. Yeah. And that was like a hard thing, and I think like the maybe the reason people should go to meetings or go to therapy you know i i went more on like the therapy end and i need to more uh, but mm. it's it's kind of like the taking something away i feel like when you're a compulsive person you just replace it with something yeah it's hard yeah, yeah totally and like you know to to use my my mom as an example like they she bought that flower shop like a couple of years into being sober and it was like you're putting all of yourself into that flower shop like it's it's a very like clear transfer but her putting herself into that is not gonna affect her liver it's not gonna like um you know it's not gonna emotionally like beat her up in the same way that she was beating herself up when she was drinking too much and 
yeah, I think that you're you're bound to replace it with something. There's um, I know we're getting into like you, you know this is a problematic person, but the line in in Annie Hall of uh, I used to be a heroin addict and now I'm a methadone addict. It's yeah. like yeah, that's that's a not great replacement. But yeah, there or, are I guess like positive the, replacements. But you know, it's yeah, it's hard to replace it. And I don't know if you really do, but I guess like Dylan would have said, you know, you got to serve somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. So, so, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 gonna come out some way, and I guess if it ends up where I watch more than two hundred movies in a year, then that's probably better. Yeah, man, I wish I wish I watched more movies. I got yeah. fall in and out. I I remember getting the Criterion Collection in like April or the Criterion Channel, and I was like, "All right, gonna finally do it." Godard, here I come. Watch like five of them. Ooh. I was like, I'm fucking so tired. <laughs> I try and balance what I tried to start doing at the beginning of the pandemic was try and keep track of um like i guess i'll say smarter movies using air quotes that i watch Mm -hmm. and you know in connection with the dumbest movies i can watch you know like for every three dumbass movies maybe it should be like oh this 1950s billy wilder movie or Mm -hmm. you know just even though it's not like a hard thing but it's like kind of go back and you know watch the runner you know uh you know mm-hmm. it's just like watch these movies that are sort of touchstones and talked about for every uh you know i don't know the prequel dumb and dumber or something that you know mm-hmm. <laughs> you know whatever like dicky if i watch dicky roberts starring uh was that nick, nick swordson or oh, david okay. spade yeah. i don't know uh well no, that's bucky right. larson um uh, <laughs> then then i need to watch you know a yeah. good coppola movie or like you said godard it's yeah. good to reward yourself. Yeah, but but doing like five Godards. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, like I said I I have a hard time with uh with rationing. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I feel like there's times where I'm like when I think about film classes I took in college where it's like I'm watching like the dumbest movie possible and then I'm like, "Oh man, I should really be watching like Bicycle Thief or Noe or yeah. you know mm-hmm. you know something that i'm gonna have to like read on the screen mm-hmm. um you know for it so yeah yeah whatever <laughs> that kid's grown up anyway <laughs> <laughs> uh but i guess like you know before i let you go like where can people find you uh website is betteryetpod.com all three of my podcasts that's better yet as you were a podcast about alkaline trio and Road to the Skeleton Coast with Brendan Kelly. Those are all available there. And for the most part, wherever you get your podcasts. But yeah, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, uh, all those channels. Um, Better Yet's also got a Bandcamp, betteryetpodcast.bandcamp.com. There it is. Well, I super appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Uh, I love where we went uh, in the conversation. Um, maybe one day we'll figure out 
who killed JFK. <laughs> but thank, thank you, you for having me. Thank you. Hello there. We're Secret Jocks Podcast, three musicians who became even better friends through the love of NBA basketball. Catch us every Tuesday and Friday recapping the past week of NBA hoops and talking with other artists who share the same passion for the game. From the tour van to the hardwood, Secret Jocks Podcast. Welcome back. Thanks again to Tim Crisp. Check out all of his pods. Better yet, Road to the Skeleton Coast, and As You Were. Big fan of all three of them. Next week, I'm talking with Missy of the band Mannequin Pussy. We chatted about the Yeah Yeah Yeah's debut album, Fever to Tell. Had a great chat with Missy, and I believe they have a new EP coming out very soon. Hopefully more on that next week. Before I let you go, check us out on Patreon. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, and just simply tell a friend. Thanks, as always, to Sarah Blumenthal for producing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. On that note, hit the theme! <laughs>